I don't want you to go through this holiday season and miss the whole purpose of God sending his son into the world. It is for your salvation, yes, it is, without a doubt. That is the beginning point of why God sent his son into the world. But he didn't just want you to avoid hell and make it to heaven. He wanted you and I to experience all that he had for us. Now think about this. Think about if you're a husband, if you're a wife, if you're a parent, if you're a niece, if you're a nephew, if you have nieces and nephews. So whatever your family connection, think about somebody you care about. And think if that person always went around kind of filled with gloom. If they went around sad all the time. If they went around not smiling. Laughter was never part of their life. Imagine how that would weigh on you. Imagine how that would bother you. Imagine how that would make you feel bad for them. And the more you care for them, the more you want to kind of help them smile. That's why we invest in people. That's why we buy them gifts. That's why we do things for them, in part to help them feel their value and worth, to express our love for them. But we want them to experience the joy. We want them to experience joy in life, joy with you. And that's exactly the attitude that our Heavenly Father has towards us. It pleases Him when His kids feel joy. It pleases Him to bring things into our life that lift us up, that make us feel the joy that is in His heart as He thinks about us. It's been said this way. If you were to open God's wallet, He has a picture of you right in the middle of His wallet. If you were to see God's refrigerator, you're coloring artwork. That's what's on his refrigerator. That's the attitude God has for us. So when we see, for instance, a bunch of cranky Christians, do you know this? You know what I'm talking about when I say cranky Christians? They've been baptized in vinegar. They've been sucking on pickles all day kind of stuff. When we see cranky Christians, one of the challenges with that is not only does it repulse us, not only does it tend to drive us away, we want to avoid environments where that's happening, but it really shows a disconnect between the life-giving relationship that God wants to have with us. So as we go into this holiday season, I feel like what God would like us to do is just turn up the temperature on joy. Now, I'm not asking you to fake it till you make it. I'm asking something very different. There's a season for that, by the way. You can fake it for a few hours if that's what's required of you. That's actually healthy to a degree. But I'm not asking you to do that right now. What I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to go on a journey with me for the next few weeks as we hear several more snippets of people's lives, how their buckets are being filled up, where they're discovering joy with the Lord. And I'm asking you to go into a journey of the scripture with me as we look at joy in hopes that kind of simmering in people's experiences and simmering in the scripture and bathing it with prayer, our joy will be made complete in him. And joy is a big deal to God. Joy is a big deal to God. And you don't often know that by looking at Christians, but the scripture's full of it. So Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says this. That the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking. Now, in fact, this verse is interesting because of the culture out of which it's written. The eating and drinking phrase there doesn't refer to food and drink only. It's referring back to the rules and regulation of religion. 
that the people Paul was writing to that was consumed with how you eat and how you drink and every little minute detail of life was monitored. And Paul writes to them and says, God's kingdom, his rule and reign in our lives is not about rules or regulation or religion. It's about something very different. So that he puts the word in the sentence, the word but there. It's not about rules and regulation and religion and getting it all right, but it's rather living a life of righteousness or goodness and of peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That God's work in our life, the Holy Spirit's work, the fruit of that is to produce in us a deep joy. The kind of joy that even if circumstances aren't pleasant, there is still a deep-seated joy in our life. We walk in the reality that joy is not the absence of suffering or pain or discouragement, but instead joy is the presence of God in our lives as we go through those things. So it's peace and goodness and joy. But the truth is, is you and I can lose our joy thousands of different ways. And it could be that you come here today and you have a relationship with the Lord, but if you were completely honest, you would say, along with the writer of the book of Psalms, primarily it was David, chapter 51, that you've lost your joy. Here's how David wrote it. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Restore to me the joy of actually your salvation, the salvation, God, you granted me. Now, it's interesting. When David, who was following God, writes this, he's not saying, I lost my salvation. He's saying, I lost the joy in my salvation. I lost the joy in my salvation. When Melissa went through that season of life where she had had a rough church experience, she was still connected to the Lord, but her joy factor was low. That happens. It happens. But in this season, we're going to take a look at that. We're going to autopsy the joy, the death of joy, and we're going to try to figure out a bit about how we can do this. So let me give you a little permission in the room. In fact, I actually want to challenge you a little bit. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room and joy is not marking your life, and I'm not saying you're happy all the time or that you're problem-free, but there is not a deep-rooted joy, here's my challenge to you today is admit today that you've lost your joy. Admit it. Admit it. Don't feel any shame about it. If one of the things God wants to do in our lives is bring us joy deep-seated satisfaction, contentment, even in the middle of difficult times, if that's what God wants to do, and the scripture seems to be pretty clear that it is, and if that's not where you are, the greatest gift you could give yourself and probably your family, probably the community in which you're operating, is the admission that you've lost your joy. There's no shame in that. If one of the heroes of the Bible can pray, God, would you restore to me the joy that's supposed to come with my salvation? That means you and I have permission to pray a prayer like that. But if that's where you are, I want to ask you to go beyond just admitting it. I want to help you look at your life today and ask, what's robbing your joy? In the book of Lamentations, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 3, verse 40, writes these words. Let's examine our ways and test them, and then let us return to the Lord. I would suggest many of us, even though we have a relationship with Jesus, we probably need to return to all that that relationship is supposed to mean. And here's some things that will rob you of your joy. 
You may want to write these down or at least take note of the one or two that connect with you, all right? Here's one thing I've observed that rob people of their joy, and I think that this one is particularly unique to people who have careers, who have a sense of drive, type A personalities. Um, those of you that are kind of career-focused or, or you're in a very busy season with your career, here's joy buster number one I want us to think about. I think when you have an unbalanced schedule, it can be a joy buster. We're going into the holiday season where a lot of us will get a few days off. I hope you do. And we'll focus on family and what's important and resting a bit and maybe sleeping in some and all that's good. But the truth is, is a lot of us run a long time with unbalanced schedules. And what's really important to us and what would really fill our bucket doesn't get the time and attention it deserved. I discovered that if you're overworked or perhaps even sometimes underworked, you're not maximized, that it can rob you of joy. When, you're, when your output exceeds your income, your upkeep will become your downfall. That happens not just with finances, but it happens with your emotional bank account as well. Sometimes just the amount of energy we're expending without filling up our emotional buckets leaves us overdrawn. We are, you know, we're writing checks for which there's no emotional funds to cover. You're unbalanced sometimes in your schedule. And what happens is, especially in Christian communities, is a thing called compassion fatigue. You've been giving so much out without taking in, and your schedule doesn't demonstrate those seasons where you're replenishing your emotional reserves. That's not just something I'm talking about. It's something I've experienced and something I've observed around here. You take more, you don't take enough in to cover what you're putting out. Some people, on the other hand, they're always taking in and they never give back out. The balance comes when there is both receiving and getting filled and giving out. The Bible talks about this kind of balance that we need, both the need to receive and to give. Which side of the spectrum do you fall on? doesn't matter what comes natural to you. That's not a problem. The problem comes when if you're geared towards receiving and you don't give, you'll get out of balance. Or you're geared to giving, but you don't receive, you'll get out of balance. And next thing you'll know is you'll wake up and you would find yourself in the same place that David wrote about. You are saved. You're going to heaven. You have a relationship with the Lord, but you don't have any joy. You know what I'm talking about, maybe a little more easier on the give outside than the take inside, but you've seen these people, right? They're always taking in, they're always receiving, they're getting bigger and bigger, more and more knowledge, more and more spiritual stuff. They get so big that we have to kind of roll them down the aisle at church. That's where the term holy roller comes from, right? Out of balance. So sometimes it could be that what's robbing you your joy is not so much direct attack of the enemy at your heart, but the direct attack of the enemy at your inability to balance a schedule that allows you to both give out and receive. It's okay if you're following Jesus to say for a season, I need to receive. Now that season can't last forever. The healthiest and most joy-filled Christians are replenishing and from the overflow of their hearts, they're giving out. 
It's not so much engage, disengage. It's I'm engaged with balance. And I'm giving out with balance. I'm receiving with discipline. I'm replenishing. And I'm pouring into the buckets of others. In the book of Lamentations, one more time, the prophet Jeremiah writes this. He says, the joy of our hearts has ended. He's describing a season in the corporate life of Israel where they were just as the children of God as they had always been, but they were not having joy. Here's some things that every believer has to have in their life in balance, I think, for the joy to be made complete in them. See if you can relate any, to any of these. I think there's at least five things. There has to be adequate worship. Adequate worship experiences. So what we did just before Melissa and I started talking about some of the stuff in her life is we worshiped together as a community. Worship isn't for the super spiritual. It's for everybody that has a relationship with the Lord. And it's where we come and we express with our words... We receive into our ears, our minds, and our hearts words about the greatness and the goodness of God. And when we do that, it puts into perspective the challenges in front of us. The challenges in front of you, some of them feel so big, not because they are so big, although they may be, but they feel so big because it might have been a long time since you got a sense of how big God really is. And worship shows us how big God is and then begins to put our challenges into perspective. If you're a Christian that isn't walking in joy, the first go-to is to ask yourself, have I been pouring out without replenishing? Or have I been replenishing so much that I, and I don't pour out? Is there a stoppage that needs to be broken through? And in that, I would ask this question, subset one, how long has it been since I reflected on the greatness of God, how big he is. Compared to your problems, God is a giant. He's massive, he's bigger, he's stronger, he's better than, he has more resources than your problems. So worship brings that to us. That's why sometimes we come and we sing songs that don't match the emotion that we brought into the building. But by the time the song is over, our perspective is getting righted. As a pastor, I know that if you and I fail to be engaged in corporate worship together over time, your joy quotient is going to fall. Again, I don't so much need you to be here in service regularly for me, although I need it. I do. I'm broken that way. But I need you to be here for you because I care for you. I want you to experience the joy of the Lord. And when Christians don't worship regularly, they lose the joy of the Lord. Here's another kind of subset that we have to keep in balance. We need fellowship experiences where we connect as a family. You've got to have friends going in the same direction as you. If you're always the lone fish swimming upstream, it's exhausting and it will rob you of joy. There have to be seasons where you sit in a room together and you have conversations like the one Melissa was talking about. She went out of her way to connect with people who had expressed some type of spiritual interest. Wasn't that they just happened? 
They happen because she gave herself to the process. And God has put people in your life who would love to sit around with you and on occasion, they can't do it every day, have conversations with you about spiritual stuff. This weekend, I sat with five different uh, five men at the same time, five different men at the same time, and we talked about some of the things that God wants to do and is doing in men around our church. And I got to hear their stories. But beyond that, we worked on a friendship. We didn't say, let's work on friendship. We started working on some stuff together, and out of that, their stories softened my heart to them. But I had to make time to do it. Fridays are my day off, and I spent all day Friday engaging in something that I normally wouldn't do. And I'll be honest, I wasn't looking forward to it. But I came away from that with deeper friendships because I got to hear the heart of some men who are very good men. We had a lot of laughter and fun. And uh, we played a little poker. And I didn't lose. And so that, you know, all of that goes together. And I just feel better about me because of that. But more importantly, I really got to connect with a couple of guys. So let me just ask you, are you worshiping? And are you fellowshipping? If not, I'm just going to be honest, it's probable that your calendar is out of balance. Here's another thing. Bible study. Bible studies. This is where you grow as a disciple. It's not the only way you grow as a disciple. But without it, you won't grow as a disciple at the rate God wants you to grow. He wants you to know his word. And if you don't have time for that, and you have time for Facebook or fantasy football, you're out of balance, all right? The amount of time it takes to make a post on Facebook is enough time to read a half a chapter. So you have time. It's just that your priorities are out of balance. And Christians who don't engage God's word or only get it on Sunday mornings, good for you, you're getting it, one meal, no matter how healthy that meal is, no matter how much abundance of that meal there is, one meal isn't gonna sustain you for seven days. Am I right? You with me on this? One meal. Pastor, I'm always hungry. I just want to be fed. The best I'll ever do in your life is feed you one good meal a week. Right? Or if I'm doing a small group, maybe two. But I'm not going to feed you seven days worth of nourishment. But God's word is available. We live in a country where it's available readily. And most of us literally have access to it on our phones. Two more real quick. Ministry experiences. Worship experiences, fellowship experiences, Bible study experiences, ministry experiences where you serve other people. Seated all around you in this room are very busy people with incredibly complex lives, but they've learned the secret of balance where they set aside some time every season. For some of them, it's an hour a week. For some of them, it's a couple hours a month. But they set aside time and it becomes not about them, but it becomes about investing into others. Many of them do that right in the life of this church. Some do it outside of our church, but they know the secret of filling their joy bucket by serving others. So there's worship experiences, fellowship experiences, Bible study experiences, ministry experiences, and then there's outreach experiences where they get to share in a more direct way the abundant blessings that come from God. Sometimes it's to people who need financial help, but oftentimes it's direct conversations about the work of God in somebody else's life. I want to say this to you again. Nothing will fill your spiritual bucket more than watching people you love and care about have profound experiences with God, especially if you've been a part of that. It brings great joy. 
So unbalanced schedules. Are you worshiping, fellowshipping, engaging God's word? Are you serving and are you outreaching? You can't do it all all the time. But over any given season, your life can be balanced. Without that balance, I'm going to suggest you probably have a leak in your joy bucket. I can run through a couple more real quick. We won't spend as much time on that. Sometimes when you have unexpressed talent, it'll rob you of joy underutilized. Have you ever had a job where they only used about 70% of your talent? So we would say maybe to some degree you're 70% engaged. That leaves a 30% disengagement. We're making up numbers, but I think the numbers help us understand the reality I'm trying to describe. All right. Now here's the cool thing about if you work a job that you're only 70% engaged. Before I tell you the cool thing about that, if you're working a job where you're only like 20% engaged, as your pastor and friend, it's time to start thinking about whether or not that job is right for you. Don't be rash. Begin thinking about it. But go back and listen to our messages about work and God and decide if it's not time for you to make a change. God doesn't want you spending a significant portion of your life unengaged. That's at home, at work, and in your other areas of life. But one of the cool things, if you're at a job that's only 70% engaged, just making up a number, is that God doesn't mean for your job to be fully satisfying to you. He meant for your family to also be a part of that. But he also means for your ministry to do that. It's okay to have a job where you're 70, 80% satisfied, but you fill in the final 20 or 30% outside of the area in which you get paid and you choose to give your talent to something else that matters. Don't work a job and let that job suck all of you out of you. Find places where you choose to make investments. And those parts of disengagement at your local workplace might be fulfilled as you give yourself to something more important. We see that happen all the time around here when people retire. They're not engaged in a job at all, but they begin to use the overflow of their talent for the work of the Lord here. It's a pretty beautiful thing to watch. God never meant for your job to fully satisfy you, but if you're regularly walking with unexpressed talent, you might have a leak in your joy bucket. I'm going to give you a third one that you might expect to hear at church. And this is more common than people want to admit. There is an unbalanced schedule, there's unexpressed talent, and then there's unconfessed sin. When you are walking around with guilt, this is believers who know to do better, and they're living in a sinful style of, of life, it literally will drain. It busts a big hole in your joy bucket. Truth is, is there's no reason for you to go more than three seconds living with guilt. It's the power of walking with Jesus. He loves to forgive sins. So John chapter 15, verse 10 through 11, Jesus said it this way. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love. Just as I've obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. If there's an absence of joy, do a quick check mark. Do I have unrepentant sin in my life? Maybe nobody else knows it. But it's almost impossible to walk with joy with the Lord when you know you're not living up to what God's called you to. I'm not talking about trying to find out some hidden sin you don't know you're doing, and if you can uncover it, then you'll get joy. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about spending three weeks in prayer to discover all the ways you've offended somebody for the last 20 years, and then you make it right. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the thing you know that as I'm talking has come to your mind. 
God wants you to give that to him in repentance. Repentance implies a move of the heart where you're going in a direction, but you turn and you say, no more with that. God, forgive me. And then you do your best effort and God brings his Holy Spirit and begins to work in you so that that pattern that has gripped you begins to have less and less of a hold. Sometimes you need outside help to actually walk up and live the forgiveness that you've applied for as you've given it to God. To walk in the freedom that comes from uh, moving away from sinful patterns. But if there's, if there's a relationship that needs some some mending, and I don't mean just because there's friction, but you know you played a part in that. It's tough to walk in joy. Let me tell you why. Because God uses the absence of joy sometimes to get our attention and say, there's more joy if you'll follow me more. So the absence of joy actually becomes a, a, a red light on the dashboard of our life going, pay attention here. The attitude you have with your spouse is ungodly. So move in on this. Repent and go in a different direction. It's very tough to be walking with joy with the Lord and be carrying on a a fleeing, emotional or physical, with somebody you're not married to. Very tough for that to happen. So, unconfessed sin. Unresolved conflict. You ever had, like, get up in the morning and you think, it's going to be a great day, and then before you get out the door, you have little, you know, little words with your wife, perhaps. Anybody ever have that happen? Well, nothing will ruin a great day like an argument with somebody you love, right? Unresolved conflict, you don't have time to quite make it right. So nothing in the Bible, by the way, says that you have to hang out with cranky people. There's nothing that says you have to do that. But if you're in a relationship with somebody and there's unresolved conflict, sometimes you pressing in on that and creating a soft spot to have a conversation that needs to be had, even though that's not fun, it actually plugs the hole that's robbing you of joy. And the fifth one I'm going to give you as we turn our attention to the end here is undernourished spirit. Did you know that circumstances in your life will conspire to shrink your spirit and drain you, leave you disappointed and distracted, very aware of your problems, That's the way life works. It's a spiritual reality. All of this world system is conspiring for you not to thrive. That's why David wrote in Psalm 126, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. He begins by saying, I understand that God's done great things. He wants me to have joy in my life. And so I'm going to nourish my spirit with the things of God. The average person in America today spends three hours watching television a day. That's 18,000 hours in a year, 9.5 hours in your lifetime watching television. There's nothing immoral about that. Unless, of course, you've got all the time for that, but no time to nourish your spirit, to spend time with God. Again, through scripture and serving and fellowship and worship. I don't know what's robbing you of your joy bucket or or, or draining your joy bucket, robbing you of joy. There are a lot of acronyms for joy we're going to use. I'm going to suggest one to you right now. I've been talking about, we put everything that I've talked about in kind of three categories. We could talk about jettisoning regrets. We could talk about omitting worries. And we could talk about yielding to God's purposes. 
and all the ways that I've tried to suggest you can fill your bucket with God, what I'm really asking you to do is to be fully present and available for his good purposes in your life. Putting aside everything else. If there are changes that need to be made, don't wallow in the fact that there are changes that need to be made. Go ahead and jettison those regrets and begin making changes. If you're worried about the future, it's okay. There are challenges in your future. But it's very difficult to worry and pray at the same time. You know, worry is just an attitude. And sometimes those attitudes come natural to us, but you can actually affect your attitude as you begin to yield to those things that God uses to replenish our spirits. When you sing songs, when you open God's word, when you sit with other followers of Jesus and you have conversations about what's important, these are ways to put yourself in the flow of God's attitude, not just the attitude of your life. I want you to have joy this holiday season. I want there to be so much joy in this place that it literally creates a magnetic flow. Like so much overflowing joy that in your life, the people who know you and interact with you begin to wonder what you're up to. So much joy and overflowing gratitude in your life that your family begins to take notice. And I have a hunch that's just not true for a lot of us yet. Will you go on a journey with And let's look at how God has been replenishing other people and see if he might want to replenish you that way. Would you be honest with me enough about the things that you probably now know are draining your bucket and see if God wouldn't like to help you plug some of those holes? Would you rest with me, soak with me in the scripture long enough to discover that when Jesus said, I talked to you, I came to you, I gave you these things. I called you to obedience so that your joy would be complete. Will you soak with me in that enough to see if you can't move closer to complete joy in your life? To help us do that, we're gonna go ahead and take a step together as a congregation. Would you take out your connect cards? I am very, very, very thrilled about where we're going over the next few weeks. I'm gonna share with you some opportunities to connect. You're gonna hear some wonderful stories as God's been working in people's lives, giving them clarity and increasing their joy. It's gonna be a beautiful thing for you to watch. You can be encouraged. Make time to be here for that. Make time and go with me on this journey through the scriptures. I don't think you'll regret it. Here's our next step A this week. Today, I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. It could be that when you think about Jesus, you think about rules and regulation and religion. That's not what it's about. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy as God's Spirit becomes the guiding force in your life. So if you'd like to have a relationship with a God who has never thought an evil thing about you, who knows that you're a sinner and needs a Savior and He came to you anyway, Here's the way we'd like to ask you to do that. Take your pen and check next step A that says today, I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. Begin this holiday season getting it right. Put first things first. When our offering buckets come by at the end of the service, you can put your card in there. We'll communicate with you about it and explain more of it, what it means to need a Savior, what it means to receive the work that Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection into your life what it doesn't mean like joining a church or signing on 
All the belief statements we have, it simply means letting Jesus take over control. Put that card in that offering bucket and we'll communicate with you. And in a minute when I pray, you can ask God, God, would you save me? Would you take my sin, wash it away? Would you become the leader or the Lord of my life? Or how about next step C? Or B, rather. Today I'm choosing to be baptized. As you've heard, we've got several people getting baptized next week. If these stories inspired you, if you felt the tug of God on your heart on that, check it. And we'll communicate with you this week and perhaps we can line you up to be baptized next week as well. Our next step C says, hey Ben, the truth is I've been holding on to the past and today I'm asking God to help me kind of jettison some of the old ways, some of the regrets and guilts I carry, guilt I carry with that. That's you, check it. We'll just make it a matter of prayer. If you want to tell me a little bit about that, you can use the back of your connect card and we'll pray more specifically. But in general, I want you to be free of a past that would hold you back from all that God has for you. Next step D says, I've been worrying instead of praying. Anybody? So today I'm renewing my commitment to bring my cares to the Lord. The scripture says we give him our cares, we cast our cares on him because he cares for us. That freedom that we sung about a little bit earlier, if that's not yours, give him your cares. See what he does with it. Or next step B says, hey, I'm still discovering God's purposes for my life. So would you pray with me to discover and then follow him? As I talked about, you know, 70% of your talent, you can even connect with that because you're not sure where that is how God could use you. Let's make that a matter of prayer. And over the next few weeks, we'll push even further on that so that you come to the end of this year with greater purpose for next. Let's pray about these things right now. Father, I wanna thank you. I wanna thank you that all through this room, there are people, Lord, who know what it is to have their buckets filled by the joy you give them. I wanna thank you, Lord, that you're calling us as a church to a season of reflection and study and prayer about the joy you want to bring into our lives. I know, Lord, that many of us in this room aren't walking in the joy that you have for us. The season is hard. It's been long. We've been giving more than we've been taking or we've been taking so much and we're kind of stopped up and not giving. I pray, God, that in this season, you would break spiritual bondage. You would release spiritual chains you would break those things that hold us back and we would walk in the joy you have for us. Not just for our good, Lord, but so that there would be so much joy in us, it would overflow into our words, into our actions. We would literally become lights of joy in every community where we are. I pray that would happen in homes, all the way down to the specific marriage. I pray that would happen between parents and their kids, between siblings that our joy would be made more complete as we follow you fully. Jesus, I ask that those that are declaring they want you to be their savior, that you would hear their cry. They put their faith in you and you wash away their sins. I pray with them as they say, Jesus, save me, wash me clean. Become the leader of my life, I wanna follow you. God, I pray also that you would use the stories of testimony, that we as a church would be made overcomers by the words of our testimony, that individuals would recapture the good thing you have done, that we'd remember the day that death was defeated in our lives and you set us free and it would produce joy in our hearts. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.
God's strong and holy son. Amen and amen.